I would never be a Christian because they're so fake and so judgmental. I know people that are just kind of all talk and they don't really live it. They always think that they're the only ones that are right and they're the only ones that know everything. The Christian people I know are just, they just hang out with each other. They don't hang out with anybody else. They're like only hanging out with Christian people and not loving everybody else as they're supposed to, I guess. I could never be a part of a group of people that are just so smug and arrogant that they think just because they're saved or whatever, they're set for life. But, you know, they see people around with everyday problems and they do nothing about it. And they claim to be part of this revolution, but, I mean, they're not even really starting a revolution. They're just basically all talking, not really showing it. It's so annoying when you talk to them and they don't, they don't know anything about their religion and you ask them, like, a hard question about the Bible, but they'll just be like, uh, Jesus is sweet. If, if they're not just hanging out with each other, uh, they're, they're just talking crap about everybody. And then they just make, make their little excuses, like, you know, it's okay, we're Christians, we can do that, because, you know, we still love each other, but, you know, you can't just go around and talk crap about each other. They always try to get me saved, but really, they can't even fix their own lives. I would just never be a part of that. Right or wrong, truth or not, justified or not, many people in our culture, they don't have a problem with Christ. They have a problem with Christians, especially Christians whose lives don't match up to the teachings of Jesus. And for many in our world, the word Christian means someone who is fake, judgmental, isolated, smug, arrogant, and maybe even uncaring. Now, is that a fair and accurate description? I don't think so. Is it right to lump all Christians into the same group of hypocrites at all, all the time? No, not at all. But for many, it is their perception of Christians. And again, perception is not always reality, but we can't afford to ignore these perceptions either. We're wrapping up a series today called Church Sucks When, and today we're going to see how it sucks when Christians are unchristian. Years ago, long time ago, when I worked in the banking industry, I worked with a young guy named Seth for a while, and it was actually in a branch, a Glendale Federal branch, and he, um, he had grown up in a Christian home. And his mom and dad um, professed to be Christ followers. And at one point, because of some really dumb choices and some mistakes that Seth made, uh, his mom and dad kicked him out of the house. In fact, they uh, cut him off. They were very harsh with him. They rejected him. And because of that, uh, when Seth found out I was a Christian, he gave me an earful because he hated Christians. Now listen to me. I understand the concept of tough love. I know sometimes it's necessary to draw boundaries and to make some hard decisions. But I don't think love ever rejects people. Love does not treat people poorly because they're not measuring up to our expectations. Now, I would not expect Seth's parents to financially support him or to condone his wild party life behavior. And it wasn't okay that uh, when I asked him some questions, uh, he owned up the fact that he had a stash of drugs in his bedroom at his parents' house. Obviously, that's not okay. But it wasn't okay for his Christian dad to say, until you get your act together, and that wasn't exactly the word he used, even though he was a Christian, until you get your act together, you're no longer welcome in our lives, and to me, you're dead. You're dead to me. That's not okay for any father to say to a child, certainly not for a father who professes to be a Christ follower. Seth's view of his Christian father was that his dad was harsh and unloving. And I didn't believe it at first until I had a conversation with his dad, and sure enough, that's pretty much the way his dad was. When Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, one of my favorite stories found in one of my favorite chapters in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15, the undeniable quality of the father in that parable was that his, he had unconditional love and acceptance of his son. Now the boy blew it, big time. 
but the father loved him nonetheless. And in one of the most famous love passages in all the Bible, if you've been to a wedding in the last 20 years, you've probably heard bits and pieces of this, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. And I'm going to land on this text and a couple others in 1 Corinthians 13 today if you want to turn there. But let me read you 1 Corinthians 13, verse 48, what Paul wrote about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with truth. Love puts all, up with all things, trust in all things, hopes for all things, endure, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, years ago, when uh, I had heard this passage taught in church by a pastor, a friend of mine, uh, he, he challenged us to do something I want to challenge you with. He said, can you genuinely put your name in the place of the word love? And man, I remember when I heard that, I thought, well, uh, and I, let me read it to you using my name. Kurt is patient. Kurt is kind. He isn't jealous. He doesn't brag. He isn't arrogant. He isn't rude. He doesn't seek his own advantage. He isn't irritable. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs. He isn't happy with injustice, but he's happy with truth. Kurt puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Kurt never fails. Now, let me just tell you, I sat where you're sitting in that message, heard that, and I thought, oh, no, because that just wasn't true. I couldn't say that's, that was true of me. Without questions, those things are not always true of me. But here's what he challenged us with and what I want to challenge you with. They are true of Jesus. Would you agree? They are true of him. And if we are to be his followers, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, then we've got to make it our lifetime endeavor to love just like Jesus loves. I've got a long ways to grow. But if that's true of him and I follow Jesus, then it needs to become more and more true of me. You see, this is a big deal because when Christians do what Jesus did, when Christians live the way Jesus lived, when we act like him and love like him, then people are drawn to God rather than repelled by our faith. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to own this, that all too often people have been repelled by my faith. At times, they've been repelled by what they see in me, not drawn to Jesus. And so I want to suggest again, our highest aspiration should be to look like, to sound like, live like, and love like Jesus. Let me say it again. Our highest aspiration should be to look like, sound like, live like, and love just like Jesus. And so I want to unpack today how to be a more Christ-like Christian. How to be a more Christ-like Christian. Now, any one of the three things I'm going to take a look at probably deserves its own message and certainly uh, could involve an entire series. But I want to highlight these things and walk through them with you this morning. How to be a more Christ-like Christian. Number one, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. In fact, let your life do more talking than your mouth. If you're taking notes, write that down. Let your life do more talking than your mouth. Now, of course, words are important. And there is a time and a place for proclaiming the gospel. Absolutely. But show should always come before tell. I believe that. Show should always come before tell. Maybe it's because I was ADD as a kid. Maybe I'm ADD now. But in grade school, I always loved show and tell. But I'm telling you, I love show a lot more than tell. Don't tell me about your puppy. Show me your puppy. Don't tell me about your tooth that fell out. Pass that puppy around. I want to see it. I was that way as a kid. I'm still that way as an adult. And I think tell's important, but show is always more important. And when it comes to Jesus, don't just tell me about Jesus. Show me. Show me Jesus in and through your life. 
Jesus challenged his disciples in Matthew 5, 16. He said, let your light shine before others that they may, listen, see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, who told, he, he proclaimed, he preached the kingdom of God. He looked at his disciples and said, let your light shine before others so that they will see your good deeds and glorify God. The apostle Peter wrote to Christians being persecuted for their faith in 1 Peter 2.12. And he said, live such good lives among the unbelievers that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may not like you at all. They may accuse you falsely of doing wrong. Though they do that, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits, visits us. Peter said, let them see your good deeds. You know, every Christian gets it wrong from time to time. Anybody get it wrong this week? Two of you? Good, thank you for that encouragement. <laughs> Occasionally we all say one thing and do another. We all do. I know that. And again, I'll be honest, at times I am a hypocrite. I say one thing and do another thing. That's true of all of us. But I, I, I want to tell you that that should not be the norm. That should not be the norm for us. And when we are inconsistent, when we do blow it, then we should humbly admit it. We should just own it. Years ago, in fact, a long time ago, I uh, played football, flag football on a uh, flag football team in Eugene, Oregon. And I was much younger than I am now. I love football. I suck at it, but I love football. And it was the seven-man teams, and because I was kind of small and not very good at anything, they put me out as a receiver. And I remember one particular Saturday afternoon, I put my cheap cleats on, and we go out every Saturday afternoon and play football. And I'm out there, it's in Eugene, Oregon, and it's rainy, it's cold. Have you been to the Willamette Valley? It was miserable. And we're out playing football, and I remember I finally caught a pass. It was awesome. And I... You know, I'm just running down the field looking for the goal line. Next thing I know, I am literally sucking mud through my nostrils. And because Bubba, I don't think that was his name, but it should have been. Bubba took me down. I mean, just tackled me. Now, this is flag football. I've got a belt with two little flags. He's supposed to pull my flags. What he did was he dropped me. And, and I am in pain, and I'm hurting, and I'm muddy, and I'm messy. And I got up, and now Bubba's twice my size. So let me just tell you ahead of time, this is, was not the smart thing to do. But I looked at him and I shoved him in the chest and I swore a blue streak at him. Not good. And again, not very smart when you're dealing with a guy that's really huge. But yeah, I, I said, dude, I can't believe, you know, I, I give him an earful. And I will never forget the look on his face. He looked at me and said, man, I, I thought you were a Christian. I mean, I always wanted to crawl under a hole, in a, you know, a hole somewhere, under a rock somewhere. I just... And, I, and I, it was one of those times where I could have just blown him off. You, you know what I'm talking about. You're so mad. You're in the moment. You could just go, whatever, dude. I could have just blown him off. But I had a moment of wisdom. And what I said to him was, man, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry. I, I, was, I was an idiot. I, I shouldn't have talked like that. Please forgive me. I apologize. Here's a crazy idea. Just, just a crazy idea. Maybe we should stop pretending that we always get it right. Maybe we should stop pretending that, that, you know, we're always perfect and, and that we always do the right thing. Because non-Christians, they know we don't anyhow. So we might as well own it. So when you blow it, own it. When you make a mistake. And I, notice I didn't say if, but when. When you blow it, then own it. And the rest of the time, do your best to show people the reality of your faith. Don't just tell them, show them. Don't just tell them about Jesus. And the last thing I pray you'll do is just stick a track in their hand. Ugh. 
please show them the love of God. Show them Jesus in your life. Practice what you preach. Number two, major on what matters most, radical love. Major on what matters most, radical love. Can we just admit that sometimes we Christians do, in fact, make mountains out of molehills? Sometimes we get all crazy about stuff that really is not maybe quite that big a deal. We're rather infamous as Christians in our culture for majoring on minors and so missing the point. Now, some of you think, well, what, what are you referring to? Because that's not a minor, that's not a minor. I, I'm just saying sometimes, can we just admit that sometimes we make this big, big deal out of things that aren't really nearly as important as love. When I was on staff at Life Center a long time ago, um, it was middle of the summer, and some guy came up to me before service. He knew I was on staff, and he gave me, he just blasted me, gave me an earful because it was hot in that building. Now, I don't know if you have ever been in the old Life Center building in August. The building's like a 1,000 years old. It, there is no air conditioning, and it's August, and it's hot. And, it, and apparently his personal comfort was more important than loving me because, I mean, he just ripped, he, 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 he was not nice at all. Gave me a very difficult time, hard time. I felt just smacked down by this guy. Two weeks later, kid you not, two weeks later, after I happened to preach, I preached on that Wednesday night, I, I brought the word, that guy came up to me after a service and gave me an earful again and blasted me again because he disagreed with something that I taught. Apparently being doctrinally right was more important to him than loving me. When Christians are insensitive, harsh, mean-spirited, and unloving, unloving they're acting in ways that are unchristian, not at all like Jesus. When we get our knickers in a twist and we are fighting over debatable issues, and again, there are some things I'll go nose to nose about with anybody. Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen. I mean, yes, the core aspects of our faith, those are worth, that's a hill I'll die on, absolutely. But sometimes we treat others over debatable issues poorly. And we treat each other horribly. And the world's watching us blast each other. People that we call brother and sister in Jesus. And we treat them like enemies. And when we end up doing that, we do ter terrible damage to the church and to the cause of Christ. Now again, let me say it. I want to be clear. Of course, sound doctrine is important. Of course, we need to study and know the word of God. But what I want you to understand today is that I think it's way more important to have the character and the heart of Jesus. That that's more important than even having doctrinal accuracy. You think, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, let me read 1 Corinthians 13. 1 through, uh, verse, uh, 13 verse, uh, verse 1. If I speak in the tongue of men of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Nothing but noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and listen, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... I'm a smart feller. I understand a lot. If I do all that and I have faith that can move mountains, I've got huge faith. But I do not have love. The Bible says if I don't have love, I'm nothing. In other words, it doesn't matter how much I know if I don't love. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't matter what we know. Of course it does. But I'm saying it doesn't matter how much we know if we don't radically love one another. 1 Peter 4.8. Peter said, most important of all, the uh, King James says, above all, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, most important, Peter said, love each other deeply. And why is it so important? Because we blow it. We mess up. We're not always right. 
And the good news is love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers our sins. It's bigger, it's better, and way more important than just being right. Now, it's never wrong to be right, but we can be right and dead wrong. So what's the answer? What should we do? Love above all. Radically love above all. Here's one more way to be more Christ-like Christian number three. Serve with selfless abandonment. Serve others with selfless abandonment. One of the greatest demonstrations we can make of our love to a watching world, and trust me, they are watching. More than you know. That's what always surprises me. You know, I worked in banking in the business for 10 years. I coached for seven years at the high school campus. Uh, I, I've been around. You think, well, you just live in this ivory tower. You don't ever rub elbows with, you know, people who don't know God. No, I do. And I can tell you, they are watching you more than you know. Oh, I, they, they probably don't even know I'm a Christian. Well, that's another issue. But, but here's the deal. They are, they, they are more aware of what you say, what you think, the things you do, than you probably think they are. And one of the greatest demonstrations we can make of our love for God to a watching world is selfless sacrifice for the good of others. In fact, I think the church ought to lead the way in this a lot more than we do. And I don't just mean the church East Point, though that includes us. I mean the church at large. You know that for centuries, it was the church that brought hospitals and brought schools and universities, education to people. And it was, it was, it was godly men, guys like William Booth who started the Salvation Army, who have touched millions, hundreds of millions of lives have been changed and impacted by a, a, an outfit created, started by a Christian guy. And I think that needs to continue and that we need to get even better at leading the way. Though love is the motivation for everything, I think it's best seen through consistent and unselfish acts of service for those in need. Matthew 20, 26 to 28, Jesus said, among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Want to take the lead, be in charge? Then serve, Jesus said. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And when he used the word slave in that culture, there were slaves hearing these words. There were slaves that, had, that, that were, they rubbed elbows with every day. The word picture, the understanding of slave was way more powerful to them than it is to us. And Jesus said, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be like me, then lay your life down. No rights, no reputation. Serve others like a slave. He said, verse 28, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, even I, the Son of Man, the Son of God, even despite who I am, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. One of the greatest marks of our faith should be our willingness to lay down our rights, our needs, and even our very lives, if need be, for the benefit and the sake of others. And it's hard to do, especially the rights thing. Our culture, especially the American culture, we are, you know, I've got rights, and I demand my rights, and I'm, you're not going to take away my rights. And I, again, some of that is okay. You know, we do have rights, and, and I understand that I'm not, slamming America. I'm just saying that if we're to follow Jesus, he laid down his rights for us. Where I get that crazy idea from? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Verse 4. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others as well. You must have, listen, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. He let it go. Why? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, his divine rights, and he took the humble position of a slave for you and for me. I don't want you to answer this out loud, okay? So please don't respond uh, verbally. But I want to ask you a question. What have you done the last day, the last 24 hours, or maybe the last 72 hours, or let's even expand it to the last week that was a selfless act of sacrifice and service for someone else? Can you think of something? I hope you can. Something you did. And by the way, you didn't do it to, with any, you, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back attitude. That's not selfless abandonment. You didn't do it to earn a paycheck or to earn, you know, prize. You didn't do it for an attaboy or an girl. You didn't do it to be recognized by anybody for anything. You simply served someone else in a selfless act of love and care. I'm working on that. I'm trying to get better at that. One of the things that, that uh, I got to do, and this is kind of exciting, we're going to be getting engaged more with a group called Big Table here in town. And it's a ministry that really serves servers, food servers in our culture. Do you know one of the largest industries in the country is food, food service? Uh, and incredibly high percentage divorce, a lot of drug abuse, a lot of single moms. Uh, they work sometimes two or three different jobs trying to make ends meet. It, they often work, you know, holidays and Sundays. It's a very taxing, challenging work environment. Some of you know. And, and this group, this guy, this Christian guy, Kevin, has started this ministry called Big Table, and it's really to serve the servers and to do so in Jesus' name. And one of the things that they do is they identify people who have needs, and then they find Christians, small groups of five, six people, who say, we'll, we want to meet that need. We want to get creative and find a way to just, no strings attached, meet that need. And some of you are going to get involved in this in your life groups, and I'm excited about that. The other thing they do is they provide this little card. And it's, and, and it's, it's, a, it's just a little, small, white envelope. And it, it, it gives you an opportunity to drop a $20 bill in there and to just to give it to somebody way beyond a tip. And, in fact, the idea is if you're in a restaurant, and I did this. Laura and I did this not too long ago. I, I was looking for someone who I thought, there's a person having a bad day. And you can norm normally recognize those servers. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I said, there's, I was looking. Who's the person that looks like they're the ones that need it the most? Now, I, I always, by the way, side note, Christians should, should tip by 20, 25%. I believe that. I hate it. It bugs me when, and trust me, ask people in the food industry how they feel about uh, us. They see us bow our heads to pray, and they all, doggone it. I'm, I'm not going to, they're going to leave me a track and a lousy tip. That's our reputation. And I am, I am a radical tipper. I never tip less than 20%. And I, and I just I find it thrilling and exciting to do. But you know what I did? I put a $20 bill in that thing. And as we were walking out, the, the uh, hostess, this young girl, I said, hey, I've got something for you. I just want to give this to you today just because. And then it links them to a website they can go to and, and actually find out more about why someone would do something like that. I think that's cool. I, I may never see that person again. It was a restaurant we don't actually go to very often. But here's the deal. It's selfless acts of service. And I didn't do it to get anything but the privilege of being able to serve someone in need. You and I need to simply take the position of a servant because that's how Jesus lived. It's what he did. I have some neighbors who, uh, if I told you who they were, they'd be embarrassed. Uh, they wouldn't want me to use their name. But um, they love me and they 
No, I've got a bad back. And every time it snows, and they also know I don't have a snowplow. So every time it snows, they come and, and, and shovel the snow on my driveway. It's humbling. And I've tried to pay them. I'd feel better if I could, can I give you money? You know, I do give them cookies from time to time. But I, I'm loved. They love me just like Jesus. They just do it because. There are people sitting in this room right now, and I will not single them out because, again, they'd be embarrassed. People sitting right here right now, they come down here every week and they clean the toilets or vacuum the floors in this place. Now, of course, we've got to pay janitorial staff because this is a 75,000-foot square facility and it's huge and takes a lot of work to keep it clean because you guys are messy. But, it, it, but, but these people, if without volunteers, it wouldn't get done. Now, I don't know anybody that wakes up in the morning and says, I live to clean toilets, Jesus I don't know anybody that just, that's what they, they just, that's the, the, the heartbeat of their life is to be able to vacuum a floor. And if that's you, come see me. We'll put you to work. But these people faithfully come down here week after week after week, and you don't even know who they are. And they volunteer. They vacuum these floors. They clean the toilets in this place. I know a woman who makes sack lunches every Saturday, and Sunday after church, she takes them and she hands them out to homeless people on the street. Makes sack lunches as many as she can on Saturday, loads them in her car on Sunday morning, goes to church, then after church she, she drives around looking for people that she can give those sack lunches to. Now she's never going to be famous, probably never going to be as famous as Mother Teresa or, or somebody like that. But every week she loves people selflessly, serving them in Jesus' name. To serve with abandonment is to serve with all your heart, no strings attached. And it will cost you. Because true sacrifice always does. And it will not be easy. I don't know where we got the idea, well, yeah, I can do that. No, it will not be easy because anything worthwhile usually is not. But it is our call as Christ followers. It is the way of the kingdom of God. We ought to lead the way in service to others. To serve like we need to serve requires a change in our perspective. It's not about us. It requires a change in our heart. Oh, God, give me the heart of Jesus. And requires a willingness to get our hands dirty for the sake of others. How can you be more like Jesus, more Christ-like? Practice what you preach. And when you fail, own it and be humble. But practice what you preach. Love radically. Look for ways to love the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, and everyone around you in your life radically in his name. And then serve selflessly with abandonment. Serve people in Jesus' name. And can you imagine what that kind of church and that kind of people can do in a city like ours. I think we've got a ways to grow because I can't imagine and it's the longing of my heart. I think it's time for the church to be known more for what we are for rather than what we're against. I think it's time for us to answer our critics with actions that speak louder than our words. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, make us more like Jesus. That is such a simple prayer, but such a powerful prayer, God. Make us more like your son, who came and washed the dirty feet of his disciples, who came and tirelessly served and, and blessed and gave his life, and ultimately, he went to the cross, and he died for us. Jesus, make us people willing to die for the sake of others. Lord, we don't die for their sins, but we died to demonstrate to them that we love them and that God loves them. 
And it's that kind of, the, of, of experience, that kind of demonstration that I think rocked the world in the first century, and I believe, Jesus, it can and will rock our world, even our American culture again in this century. That we would be known as people who practice what we preach and own it what we don't. People who love radically and people who serve selflessly. God, make us that kind of church who love just the way you do. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not begun your journey as a Christ follower. And maybe the thoughts cross your mind even this morning. You know, if that's what it means to be a Christian, then I'm in. That's that, that I want. That I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like him. And you realize in your heart today you need God. You need his forgiveness. You need his grace. And the Bible says it comes to the point where you've got to surrender. You've got to sacrifice your, your will to his. Your way for his way. You make a choice. Yes, I will follow you. I will surrender my life. I will embrace that grace so freely offered. And if that's you and you're here today and that's what you want, then I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. And I'm just going to ask you to make this prayer yours right now. Make my words your words. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And I want to be your child. I want to be like Jesus. And so come into my heart, my life, my mind, my soul. Come into every part of me. Transform me from the inside out. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my past, my present, my future to you. I say yes to you right here and right now. I begin my journey as your son, your daughter, your child. Now that's you. That's what you want. Just in your own way. Say yes, Jesus. That's me. That's my heart. The Bible says the instant you believe and say yes to him, that's when you enter into relationship with God forever. You become his. Lord, for those making that choice right now in this room or watching online later or listening on the radio later, God, I pray that they would, in fact, understand the love of God, the goodness of God, and what you are doing in them right now as they are becoming your children, walking from darkness into light. Show them that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song of worship. Ushers are going to come. We're going to give. Uh, if you're a guest today, don't feel obligated to give. But if this is your church, give to support what God's doing here. But let's give. If you've got the communication card, drop that in that basket as well. But let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Today, if you uh, were able to sing that song for the first time and it's truth for you, you gave your life to Jesus, tell somebody. Let them know. Come tell me. And then the tables by uh, the doors as you walk out, there's a packet. It's got a Bible and some material. Get started and walk with Jesus. We want to journey with you in this new adventure called walking with Jesus. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. There's communion on both sides of the room. And my hope for you this week is that you go with a little bit more awareness that people are watching that you live a lot more like Jesus. Go be like him this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.